want to thank everybody for the encouragement I've had today. It helps to have pats on the back and people have faith in you. And it's an awesome responsibility to stand in front of fellow Christians and, and deliver a, a sermon. My text will be coming from Job chapters 1 and chapter 2. I guess if I could put a, put a title on this would probably be Job, a man of faith. He was tripped up, but he never gave up. In chapter 1, starting with verse 1, and for several verses there, it sets up the whole picture of Job, gives you a rundown on what type of person Job was. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. He was blameless. He was perfect. Does that mean he was sinless? No, not at all. It meant he was complete. He was conscientious of the way he worshiped God. He was somebody that was upright, meaning he was honest. He would not uh, deal unfairly with his fellow man. Back in those times, even, even these times today, people think if something happens to you, well, there must be, you must have done something wrong. And the whole example, the whole gist of this whole story of Job is that's not necessarily so. Job was a good man who had bad things happen to him. We all, at some time in our life, one way or the other, we're probably going to have something happened to us. If you haven't suffered in this life yet, you're, as one preacher I heard say, your time's coming. That's all there is to it. And the way you handle that suffering, the way you handle that disappointment is, shows what kind of character you have. And by what was done to Job, we have a, we have a, it shows his character, that, that it was above board. We have an advantage over Job. Job didn't know why this was going on. He had no idea, and he didn't know the outcome. We have the benefit of knowing both those reasons. He was upright. He was perfect. He feared God, means he had ultimate respect for God. Uh, he knew where his power, where his faith lied, and he eschewed evil. Paul's, in, in some of the verses that he wrote, Paul would say, avoid the very appearance of evil. Job wasn't going to do any transactions. He was, he was a rich man. He had a lot of things, a lot of possessions. He had ten children, and he was a respected man. So he wasn't going to make any kind of uh, business deals or any kind of dealings with his fellow man that was not going to be above board. It goes down through here. It tells about his seven sons and three daughters. That's ten children. So he was, he was very well blessed. Back then, uh, it was looked on that the more children you had, the more blessed you were. He also had a lot, in verse 3, it tells all the possessions that Job had. But Job didn't put his faith in his possessions. His faith was in his God. <clears throat> His sons went, in verse 4, his sons went 
and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. So they were celebrating. Each one would have a certain time that they would have a celebration at their house, a feast of some kind. Not real clear on what it was. Could have been a birthday. Could have been some other kind of celebrations. But they did this over and over. <clears throat> In verse 5, and it it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus did Job continually. Job was from the patriarchal age. He was the priest of his family. This was before Moses, before the law. It, Job felt it was up to him to make sure that the sacrifices were done for his family. And Job was cognizant of the fact that somebody could just sin in their mind. And that later on will come uh, to be something that we need to point out, that Job never sinned with his lips. He also never sinned in his mind toward God. And he did this continuously. He would, he would make sure <clears throat> that these sacrifices were done for his family. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. I read a lot of commentaries before I prepared this lesson. And some were really harebrained, to, to tell you the truth. They, almost every one of the commentaries that I read tried to place this whole scene that we go from verse 5 on in heaven. And I'm going to tell you why it couldn't be in heaven. In Revelations uh, chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, it says, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The devil is not in heaven. Nowhere in this first chapter is the word heaven mentioned. These were son, the sons of God. Also, uh, there are places in Genesis 6, uh, chapter 6 and verse 2. There's, uh, let me turn back there. <clears throat> Chapter 6, verse 1, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all that they chose. Do angels marry? Jesus said they don't. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. This was a worship service. These were people that were there to worship. And something I had never really thought about before. We're here worshiping God, and God is here. 
in this worship service with us, observing our worship service. And you think the devil's not here too. The devil is, this is his realm. He is here to tempt people, to discourage people, to put roadblocks in front of people. <clears throat> so while they're, while they're worshiping, Satan's walking around. And God starts to have a conversation with Satan at this point. God asks questions. And it's not to receive an answer. God already knows the answer before he ever asked the devil what he's, what he's doing there, what Satan's doing there. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. There's another place that it talks in the, in the New Testament about the devil and how he walks around. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, talks about him being as a roaring lion. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Not running around, he's walking around. And he just confessed to God here, I've been walking up and down in the, in the earth. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. What a compliment to Job. Think about it. Could God say about us, there is none like him in the earth? That's, that's the most awesome compliment I could ever think or, or reference to anybody. And God knows Job's heart. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Is Job so good out of his own heart? Or is Job doing this because you're so good to him? God knows the answer to that. Job was a righteous man, not for what he could get out of God. Not for what God could do for him. Not because God made him rich in children, in possessions, but Job loved God. In verse 10, hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. If you notice... Satan's well aware of Job. He's tried to get at him personally and failed. He tried to get at his house, specifically his family, and failed. He tried to get at his possessions and failed. Later on, this, is, this will come to light. It's interesting that, Job, that Satan found a hedge all around Job. He's tried every angle to get at Job. And, and he can't get to him. He said, and he tells him, he's probably, he's tempted Job in, in numerous ways before because he knows all about Job. He knows all about each one of us. He knows what your weaknesses are, but he can't do anything about them. The, the main point that I, that I got out of all this stuff 
reading this was that the devil only has the power that we give him. He had no power over Eve in the garden. He tempted Eve and she gave in. He knew where her weakness was. One of three things, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. He knew where her button was. He's searching for Job's button. He hasn't found it yet. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. I'm not going to do it. You do it, God. You touch it. And he'll curse you. And God turns it back on the devil. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Didn't take him long to get out of there. He took off immediately. But he couldn't touch Job. You can do all, all you want to to everything he's got, but you can't touch him. And then all this befalls Job from verse 13 on down to about verse 20. There are all, all his sons and daughters are eating and drinking and have, having a good time at the eldest brother's house. And Job is doing whatever he, he's doing at that time. They're, they're working in the fields. The oxen are plowing. Uh, the donkeys are out there feeding. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. A messenger comes and tells him exactly what's, what has just transpired. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped to tell thee alone. And while he's talking, here comes another one. While he was yet speaking, came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from the heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped to tell thee. Back then, if anything came out of the sky, obviously it came from God. We know differently here. This is the devil's doing. This isn't God's doing. And while he was yet speaking, there came another. How many times can you stand something like this? Over and over. The Chaldeans made out three bands, fell upon the camels, and carried them away, and, and have slain all the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell thee. They stole his camels, killed his servants. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are all dead and I alone have escaped to tell thee. Another problem now. His children are dead. He lost 10 children in one fell swoop. He's lost every possession, everything. What are you going to do? Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down on the ground and worshipped. Could we have done something like that? Or would we have blamed God? Why did you let this happen? I don't know at the times that I heard people in the emergency room, when I worked in the emergency room, you know, why did God let this happen? 
devil never gets blamed for anything. The, ten, the fellows that flew those planes into those towers in New York City, why did God let that happen? Why did the devil do it? Wasn't God's doing. Everything that bad that happens, God gets blamed for it. But Job didn't blame God. Job worshiped God. And this is what he said. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. But that won't be the case when his friends show up. Everyone has a price, according to Satan. What's Job's price? I'm going to destroy everything he's got. I'm going to kill everyone that's close to him or cause their death. Where's his breaking point? Jesus asked a penetrating question one time. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Sometimes when you're going through hard times, difficulties, often, I've said it, I'm sure you've thought it or said it to yourself, how much more can I take? Where's my breaking point? Where's your breaking point? We hope we never come to that point that we find where our breaking point is. The real tragedy is some people sell out for very little. They have a disappointment. They get turned down for a job. Or they don't get into a school that they wanted to get into. Or something happens, just some, what we would think would be a minor thing. They're going to blame God for it. Or they're not going to go to church anymore. Or they're not going to worship God anymore. But the first thing Job did was worship God. The main idea is to be faithful no matter what Satan throws at us and to resist Satan. Hebrews 10, 34 and following. The Hebrew writer complimenting the people that he's writing here. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourself that ye have, a heaven, have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he shall come, he shall come he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. 
But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. No matter what bad things that happen to us, on this earth, at this time, in our lifetime, it's not really important. We have a better hope of a better life in the hereafter. Heaven's is our home, and that's the city we're looking for, like Abraham, looking for a city. What we need to understand is that when bad things happen, we ought not automatically lay it at God's feet. But that's the way the world is. They'll immediately point to God. And if you flip over to the 42nd chapter of Job, out of God's own mouth, because see, Job's friends were blaming everything on Job, that he was a sinner, and that all this was God's retribution. But in chapter 42, verse 7, The Lord said, <clears throat> the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Job finally figured out this wasn't coming from God. This was coming from Satan. Job finally figured that, but his friends, they had to be told by God himself. <clears throat> the New Testament tells us all about how crafty Satan is. In Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And again, in 2 Corinthians 2, Verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We know how to combat Satan. We're not here defenseless. We're not like they were in the, in the first century where they had demon possessions and nothing to fight the devil with. We have the word of God. We have the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. We have all these armaments to go against the devil. And the devil only, if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, the devil only has the power that you give him. And we're not going to give him any power. you think about Job's response to his bad news again. Tearing his robe, that's what they did in that, in that part of the country. Sometimes, you know, they, they, just, they just rent their robes. He shaved his head. He fell down prostrate on the ground. And he worshiped God. 
I don't think any of us sitting here going through something that he did, that he went through like that, that would not be the first thing in, through our minds. But that was, what, that was how close Job was to God and how much faith he had in God. The fourth action is really the incredible part. Job worshipped. We've often known individuals who respond really by cursing God. I've known of people who said they would never go back to church for something, maybe a child died or something, some inexplicable thing. We can't explain it. But they, they will just completely turn against God, never darken the door again. Most important thing to Job was his relationship with God. Paul spoke in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, something very reminiscent of Job. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Your material goods, are, they can be replaced. Uh, we worry, you know, we have hurricanes in this area, and we see people that lose everything they've got. Maybe somebody has a house fire, burns up their whole house burns up all their possessions. Those things can be replaced. Can't take this stuff with us. What you take with you is your faith when you stand before God. Paul had another idea in Philippians and speaks well. I think Brother Copeland brought that out this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at, la at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. That's the mindset that Job had. In chapter 2, sort of, sort of a repeat of what went on in chapter 1 at the start. A day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also before them to present himself. Satan shows up again. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. Same, same scenario again. God, again, he's not seeking information. He's making Satan tell him what he's doing. He's going to draw the truth out of Satan. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Now think about it. Job's just gone through a terrible experience. He's lost his whole family. He's lost everything he owns, all his possessions. He is broke. He has nothing but the clothes on his back and his friends when they show up. 
there is none like him in the earth in more ways than one now. But Job hasn't changed. He's still the same Job. And his faith in God has not been shaken. And still he holdeth fast his integrity. It didn't change Job. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. He puts the blame exactly where it's supposed to be, on the devil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, yea, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath he will give for his life. Satan's proud of what he's done here. He's disappointed that he hasn't found that trigger to set Job off. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan cannot do anything to Job without God letting him. He has to have God's permission. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. Once again, God has limited Satan's power and his influence. He has to have God's permission to do anything to Job. He's given tremendous, tremendous power to harm Job with one major limitation. He can't take his life. Satan is so sure that he, if all that that he did to him back then didn't do it, touching him, physically will break him down. He couldn't get to him mentally, so now he's going to get to him physically. Again, the text seems to indicate Satan went immediately from the presence of God. He didn't waste any time. He shut out, I would say, shut out the door and, and went to work. He continues to believe this is going to be Job's downfall. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. I think we, we somebody mentioned something about boils this morning. If, if you've ever had a boil, how painful it can be. It's like, it, it's basically, it's a staph infection. And you get uh, a compartment of, of uh, for a better term, I guess it's, a it's still a medical term, pus builds up under the skin, causing pressure on the nerves and whatnot, and it's excruciating pain. And he had them from the soles of his feet to the top of his head, everywhere. And he took him a pot's herd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. The only way you can relieve that pressure is to lance the boil. Job didn't have a medical degree or a scalpel at the time. So all he had was a broken pot. And he did his best to open up those boils and relieve that pressure. And hopefully it would, it would get well. If you show up in the emergency room with a boil, that's what they're going to do. They're going to numb it up a little bit and they're going to take a knife and they're going to cut it. And they're going to squeeze all that corruption out of there and 
send you on your way, put you on some antibiotics, and off you, you'll be off and running. But that, that wasn't an option for Job. All he could do was sit there and, and scrape himself, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. The only person besides Job and his family that didn't die in all this was his wife. Now you try not to be too hard on Job's wife. She too lost ten children. She doesn't have the faith that Job has. She doesn't have the strength that Job has. And she thinks all this can be over with. Job, just kill yourself. Curse God and die. <clears throat> but even her advice, such as it was, wasn't going to sway Job. Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speak. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this... Job did not sin with his lips. He never cursed God. Job's wife hadn't thought this out like Job had. And she's not thinking logically. She was ready to live with the wealth and accept all the, of God's gifts with open arms. But now when God chooses to take back what he's given, she don't have any tolerance for that. When we take only the good, that's selfish <clears throat> and foolish. So as Job said back in verses 121, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job is still going to hold on to his faith. Now Job's three friends are going to enter the picture. Apparently, Job was an international figure because these folks came from, from afar off. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came, every one from his own place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the, the Naath, the Amathite, they, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. We've, we've had people in our families or friends that have lost someone, and you don't know what to say. Sometimes you don't need to say anything. Just sit there. And that's what these guys did. They came and they sat. That was the best thing they could do. They sure couldn't say, I know how you feel. They hadn't lost 10 children. They hadn't lost all their possessions. That would be the height of hypocrisy. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off, they knew him not. They lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon his head. These boils that, that Job had disfigured him in such a way that his friends didn't even recognize him. And when they saw him, all they could do was cry out. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word, for they saw that his grief was very great. We need to underscore the fact that these were his friends indeed. Now later on, 
They say, th they say hurtful things thinking they're helping him. There's no evidence to support the belief that they came to Job with any kind of animosity or revenge. They didn't come to sit there and laugh about what Job was going through. They came to sympathize with him. They came to comfort him, to say words of encouragement, and to reestablish flame of hope in his heart. In some way or another, his friends desperately wanted to make Job feel better. What they didn't recognize with Job was Job's faith, because they didn't have the same faith that Job had. They were sure, if you read on through this book, this is just an introduction, hopefully this will sort of whet your appetite to read more about Job, that they were so sure you have done something, you're a sinner, you've committed some kind of sin, this is happening to you for a reason, and that just wasn't so. Job had great faith in God. Job trusted God. And that's one of the hallmarks of a Christian, your faith. Sometimes that's all you've got. And we need to remember that. When the struggles of life overwhelm you, you can always go to God. You don't ever want to hear God laugh. There's a verse in the Old Testament. I can't tell you exactly where it is. But God talks about, I will laugh at their problems because they have ignored me up to now. I don't have any need for God right now. I'm doing great. I've got a fancy house. I've got a, anything I want. There's really no need for God there. But you let one of their children get sick or something happened to a family member, or, or even something happened to them, now all of a sudden they need God. It's like uh, the old saying goes, there's no atheists in foxholes. When you get into trouble, then you're, then you're looking for God. We don't ever want to be in that shape. We want a direct line to God. We want, like they have in, in Washington, D.C., we want that red telephone there where we can pick it up and call God and, and let him know what we need. And God wants to hear from us as Christians. The great thing about the Bible, the Bible only makes Christians only and the only Christians. The book of Acts is full of conversions. Everybody in here, I'm sure, has read it at one time or another. There's not a single one in there that didn't become a Christian the same way that if we become Christians the way they did, we will be what they were. They had to hear the word of God first. Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They had to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. John 8, 24. They had to repent. We have to repent. Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. And when the Bible repeats something twice, that's, that's for our edification. That's important. You have to repent. You have to change your direction. That's what repentance means. And we have to confess, like the Ethiopian eunuch. 
that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans 10.10 also. Acts 8.37 and Romans 10.10. And we have to be baptized for the remission of sins. That seems to be the sticking point with a major part of the world for some reason. And it's in black and white. But there seems to be a problem. Nobody on the day of Pentecost on the day of Pentecost with Peter preaching to the crowd, nobody stood up and told Peter, no, you don't have to be baptized. That's not necessary. They asked, what must we do to be saved? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Not one person stood up and said, it's not necessary. But we have people today, even in the church, that refuse they come in maybe from a denomination. They were baptized in a denominational church. You, t- you teach them. You teach them the right way. Well, I've already been baptized. Well, you were baptized for the wrong reason. And then we have to remain faithful. Revelation 2.10. And that's the way we become a Christian. And if you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. Those are the things that have to be done. If you are a Christian and you've fallen away or you've stumbled, which we all do, God is just and faithful and willing to forgive. In Galatians chapter one, or chapter six, verse one, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, restore one, such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest also thou be tempted. Again, in James chapter five, verse sixteen. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And in 1 John chapter 1, verses uh, 7 through 10. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's Cleanseth is a continual thing. We became Christians. We were washed in the blood. And if we ask God's forgiveness, that blood continues to cleanse us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here tonight... And, we ha- and you have anything that, that we can help you with, we ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <clears throat>